Welcome to the Draft Deeper Podcast. This is your host, Nathan Grubel. Joining me as always is my producer, Kevin Black. And this week, I'm honored to be joined by someone who I messaged him a few months ago. I'm like, I'm just waiting for the perfect podcast to be able to bring you on, my friend. We have NBA draft historian, Matt Maurer. Matt, how you doing, buddy? Hey, how's everybody doing? I'm doing great, man. Stoked. Ready to ready to get this show rolling. Yes, sir. Biggest reason why I wanted to have you on, um, and, and I'll give you a little bit of room in a, in a second to talk about what makes you an NBA draft historian and why you've chosen to to keep record of the draft like you do. But this is this is my GM style mock draft show. I will definitely do this once a year. We did one last year. We had Chris LeBron on from the off the ball network to, to kind of critique some of my picks. But Matt, I wanted to have you on because I know that you do a mock draft every year as well. And I figured you and I comparing our mock drafts, it's one thing for, for me to do a GM style exercise like that, where I'm taking a bunch of things into account um, using the, the scouting experience and the background that I have doing um, some of the evaluations that I do, but you have a historical perspective, right? So that's what I think makes this really interesting is that you, you've, you've studied so many drafts and you've gained historical sp- perspectives on what teams have done in the past. And that sort of gives you an insight that I don't necessarily have as to how some of these teams think and operate what you may think will actually happen during any particular draft. So that's why I wanted to definitely do a comparison. I think it's a pretty unique and fun perspective for for my audience. And that's why I'm honored to have you on. But yeah, man, why, why don't you tell my audience about why you specifically chose to to get into what you do and where people can find your work and where they can find you on social media? Oh, thank you. Uh, well, <laughs> I, I, I never chose this. I always tell people that um, it kind of found me. Uh, growing up, I was a huge card collector and uh, you know, you read the back of stats. This is before the internet, so I know I'm dating myself. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, I had, I'm looking at the stats, and I, you know, happened to have a Michael Jordan card. I said, "Man, this guy went third? And you know, we're just steadily, you know, you're just looking at things, and you're 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 gauging that this this is a process that happens, and this player went before this player. So then I became intrigued with. Uh, just the very nature of this very flawed and very almost unscientific approach to how we judge and rate players. And, you know, I think it's just mind blowing, really. I mean, there's, there's every sport has a draft, but I don't know if every sport has the richness and the history of the NBA draft, because I mean, you got, you got really just tantalizing stories. I mean, you know, you got, Arvita Sabonis in 86, you have, you know, Len Bias, of course, in that same draft. Um, The lottery system that we had, we installed in 85. You know, there's just so many different layers to it. So then I, you know, I I went and I started um, NBADraft.net with a friend. And um, he had already had it rolling, I think, a year before I joined him. And, you know, I had um, grew up on Don Leventhal. And for those, again, I'm dating myself, but <laughs> you would um, essentially see ads in sporting news and you would have to send him a money order or a check. And then he would give you um, like an NBA draft report. It was printed out and it would be shipped to you. So I would cut grass and 
course, do everything I could to get a hold of this packet of information about these upcoming players. And, um, you know, it just, again, just became a, a nightly, a nightly ritual for me to read this thing that he would push out and, you know, the draft would come around and, and, you know, I, I'd hear about these players or I read his scouting reports on these players and it just became part of my life really. And then, you know, I wanted to know about every player that had been drafted. So it was a very slow, again, this is between, you know, uh, going to college, <laughs> work, everything else, you know, marriage, kids. So, you know, 30 years off and on, I had, you know, took some time, researched players, and it ended up being, I, I researched every single player that's ever been drafted. Um, you know, height, weight, birthplace, birth date, if I can get it, and playing statistics. And um, that really wasn't done at all. Now, Basketball Reference has done a brilliant job, of course, um, college basketball reference. But at the time when I had started, it would have saved me a ton of leg, leg time. But he didn't have that site up. Justin didn't at that time. So a lot of this stuff I had gained by hand. And, you know, you're faxing, you're emailing people and, and, and just trying to really get a hold of this research that for many schools, you know, the research had been dead, buried, forgotten. And especially when you're talking about overseas international stats at the time, I mean, getting uh, stats, for example, for Tony Kukoc in Yugoslavia um, took, Oh my God. Yeah. took some time. So, uh, you know, all this process, I, it, it just became, I felt like it was part of my responsibility. Like I have this rare gift for some reason to be able to cultivate this, and catalog this information and and then it's like okay now i just continue to do it and uh you know i'm, I'm writing a book uh about the nba draft history that hopefully i'll have finished i'm kind of a perfectionist so i <laughs> i say i say it's a year from now but you know knowing me and 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 my little issue with being perfect it'd probably be a year and a half but uh you know it's it's been a it's been a tantalizing you know journey and um you know, getting to know the new generation, such as yourself and others that are out here that are that have pushed, you know, this this whole practice of the draft even farther than than, than me and you know many of the older draft guys is is always fun and amazing to see. And I think much of what you guys do is is amazing, and and a lot of it you guys take advantage of information, you take advantage of of, of media that's available to you. Um, and I just think it's brilliant what every, everybody's been doing. I think that's a perspective, Matt. I, I thank you for sharing that to, to my audience as well as to myself, because I think sometimes we take for granted just how easily we can access information nowadays on virtually whatever we want. And 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 back in the day, for, for pioneers like yourself, I know that um, on the football side of things, like Mel Kuyper Jr. Has, has told stories about how he would have to like call schools to get like film and stats and like all that stuff. Like the process for 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 you guys was completely different than than it is now. So certainly appreciating the hard work that that a lot of you who came before somebody like me have done to to pave the way for for public stat information, public video, um, all, all of that stuff is really a perspective that that. I can't really say I've ever really sat here and thought about too much in depth, but it's something that I should definitely appreciate. So thank you for being one of those pioneers in this. And that's what makes doing an exercise like this 
all the more fun because like I said, all that rich history, all that experience and that knowledge that you have combing through a lot of this information over the years, Matt, that's, what's going to make this a really good exercise. So with that being said, I want to dive right in. So this is what I would like to call my, my 2021 GM style mock draft. And when I say that there are a lot of people who do mock drafts, just based purely on reporting, what kind of information they're hearing about teams and, and, and who they think is going to be the pick. This is me literally putting on my thinking cap, my GM cap for all of these teams making a pick. And I'm going through and I'm looking at different information based on my evaluations. And I'm sitting down and saying, all right, if I was in this position, this is who I would take with the pick. Um, so with that being said, we'll, we'll rotate. We'll go through pick by pick, Matt. I actually want to start with your pick first. We'll discuss um, what, why you made the certain pick in your mock draft that you did. Then we'll come back. We'll go over mine, and then we'll kind of move through pick by pick. Sound like a plan? Sounds like a plan. All right. So you, Detroit Pistons are on the clock this year with the first overall pick. They won the lottery. Matt, who, who do you have on your mock draft going number one to the Pistons? I, I have Kate Cunningham from Oklahoma State. Um, I feel he's the most ready, and he's. I think he's also the most seamless player at this point. I think he can play in a variety of you know offensive sets, and, and I think he's just he has a lot of those tools that you love to see at the next level. Um, I, I will say this: he to me, this is a tough spot for Detroit to be in, and and I say that because the guy that I think is the top talent uh, is Jalen Green. Um, mm, there we go. I like that. <laughs> I like that. So, but it, it's going to be very risky for them. I mean, you, you, if you remember back in 2003 when they took the the, the potential of the Darko Milicic and they and they mm. bypassed Carmelo Anthony, I mean, this is going to be a real test for them. And I, I I think you know if they stick to what the philosophy is, which is just just to get a a very very good player who might be a franchise guy. I think Kate Cunningham is the safest bet. If we're talking about who has the biggest potential and who has the biggest chance to achieve, uh, you know, an exceptional talent, I think Jalen Green is there. But I can understand either way uh, them taking Cunningham or them taking Green. I just think Green would be more of a – how do I want to say this? Uh, it's, it's more of a chancier pick that I don't know if they have the stomach to do. Um, I think Cade is the smartest guy there. I think he's got the highest IQ right now out of the top three who are in my top three. And I just think he's the safest bet. And he's also an incredible player. So um, he kind of reminds me and, and I, I try to be dangerous when I, you know, I don't like to be dangerous when I make comparisons. I want all of your comps. I want all your comps on this podcast. Matt, so fire away. Uh you know, he, he reminds me of like a Jamal Mashburn, a, a Grant Hill without the, the, the ex explosive athleticism. I love that one. That, that's my favorite comp for him. Because I, I hear people say Grant Hill, but I don't think people remember how explosive and athletic Grant Hill like actually was. Like if you look up like a highlight tape on YouTube, it's like Grant Hill throwing down these massive dunks where he's like hopping from like out close by the free throw line. It's like, Okay, Cade's not that level of athlete, but get past like the the few highlights that you might see here and there on YouTube, and you actually go back and watch his game, and they do a lot of the same things. I love that one. I agree with you. I I I just think at the end of the day, they're they're gonna they're gonna choose uh, Cade. So Cade is who I have going number one as well, um, and and a lot of it comes back to there. There's this notion, and and 
Chad Ford did that podcast th- this past week where he had a guest on and they went through the whole the case against Cade Cunningham. And while I, I agree with you, Matt, I think that not that, that not that I would necessarily take Jalen Green number one over Cade. I have them both in the same tier of, of player. I think that the both of them could be MVP caliber players potentially down the road. And I I don't say that lightly. There's this huge contingent out there that would love to support like Evan Mobley possibly being like a dark horse is like the best player in in the draft class. And and we'll definitely talk about him at some point very soon here. But when you look at Cade's profile, uh, we, we knew going back to high school that he was very gifted with the basketball in his hands, making plays for others, being more of this cerebral playmaker at six foot eight, who can see the floor very well, who took a measured approach to the game, has a very calm, calming demeanor, on the court not that he's not a a fiery competitor because as you hear him more in interviews like he is a very competitive kid but he also just brings a sense of calmness to the offense like if the ball's in my hands i'm gonna figure out how to make the right play and my questions for Cade when he came into college were okay if you're gonna have the ball in your hands all the time especially when you get to the nba at some point you're going to have to hit some big shots especially late in games you're gonna have to be one of those tough shot makers. And like when you talk about um, Jalen Green's game, Matt, I mean, that that's one of the main selling points for Jalen Green is that he is arguably the best tough shot maker in the entire draft class, being the six foot five, the, the gifted athlete that he is. But Cade surprised me in college. He rated down the 87th percentile in terms of isolation scoring, did a lot of things off the bounce late in games where there was a step back shot in the mid range, even some step back threes. some of his footwork on those jump shots really impressed me. And I mean, you take a look at obviously some of these teams that we'll talk about, especially towards the top, like they need, they need help everywhere, right? <laughs> I, I could sit here and list off a bunch of statistical categories all day long, but at the end, end of the day, these teams are all kind of need the best player available that, that, that can fit the most of what they need. I mean, you talk about the Pistons don't necessarily have a ton of creation out of isolation sets, out of, out of pick and roll sets, um, out of spot ups. Like, like they rated pretty low in all these categories. And I think Cade can come in and definitely shore up a lot of that right away and the playmaking. And, and again, that sense of calmness he's able to bring to the offense. I think all that's just butter right on the top of everything. So I, I agree with you. I think Cade's probably going to be the pick. I can't see, even though there's all this rumbling that, the Detroit front office loves Jalen Green. I think I agree with you, given some of their 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 previous opportunities to take some top shelf talents with higher draft picks. The fact that you know now they have the number one pick in their hands, I don't think that they're necessarily going to want to take a, a what they would consider a swing, even though you and I wouldn't consider it a big swing. I don't think they're going to want to take that swing. So I, I agree with you. Um, but that that puts the Houston Rockets in a very interesting spot because there's <laughs> there's multiple guys who I think Houston would be interested in. I'm curious. I, I, I'm going to assume you have Jalen Green going number two. Is that where you have him going? I do. I do. And I think it's going to be between and I'm, I'm going to be honestly the number two pick to me is so you know, so, so amazing to, to, to see it play out because they really got to, they got their choices. They got to go through either green or Mobley in my eyes. Yep. Um, you know, I, I picked green because I was really impressed with green's progress in the G league. I mean, he got so much better uh, playing with the ball uh, than he did in the beginning. I mean, he was, he was kind of, didn't do very well. And I, and I, 
I don't know if that's credit to Brian Shaw, credit credit to you know his work ethic, but I mean he really improved uh, shooting off the dribble and creating off the dribble later on in the, in the G League Ignite season. Um, but I think Evan Mobley is an amazing prospect as well. But yeah, Jalen Green to me, I think he's got that Zach Levine-ish uh, type, you know, upward trend that could happen for him. Um, again, doesn't handle the ball the way that Zach Levine did as, as well. But um, I, I think he's a more talented scorer than Zach Levine at that same age. The biggest thing I think that sold me on, on Jalen Green, and I kind of um, referenced this in a Facebook post, Matt, that I ended up tagging you as well as Coach Thorpin. Um, when we talk about some of these players, we, we look at everything they can do on the court. We look at their statistical profile. Sometimes we don't talk enough about who they are as people, as workers, who, what they bring to the table off the court, how they're going to build chemistry with everyone around them. And it's like every, everything you hear about Jalen Green in that respect, I've heard more positives about him just as the type of person and worker that he is more than any other player in this entire draft class. And and I have a lot of positives that I can take away about um, Jalen Suggs for what he does on the court and, and what I view as his leadership ability. And we'll, we'll talk about him as well in a second within the next few picks here, but yeah, everything that Jalen green brings from a talent package, um, the improvements that he made throughout that G league season, how he ended up asserting himself more for that team as the year went on. And, and, and we've seen this now so many times, and especially in these playoffs, Matt, that when, when you have the ability to put multiple big time shot makers and perimeter creators together within the same offense, like that's how you set yourself up to win championships. And it's like, yeah, I, I also think that Evan Mobley's a, a potentially really special talent as a big man, but being able to pair Jalen green with somebody like Kevin Porter jr. In the backcourt could set Houston up for much long-term success. And, and I know that, you know, KPJ has obviously had some of his struggles in his personal life, but I think that him ending up in Houston has really helped him because they have the right people in that organization to help give KPJ the support system that he needs. And I think Jalen could be another positive, someone, a teammate that, that KPJ could look to and say, he has as much talent as me. He puts in all of this work to improve his game and make sure that everyone else around them is doing the same thing. I think they could develop a really strong mutual respect for one another. And that's another angle I'm looking at with that fit. I don't, I haven't heard anybody else really bring up that angle, but that's intriguing to me. I don't know if you have any other opinions on that, Matt. Oh uh, yeah. I actually talked to a gentleman who's actually working with um, Jalen during this period, uh, Mark Edwards, and he's, he raves about his work ethic and his desire um, and, and says that, you know, he, he just, he's a sponge. Like he wants so badly to be, you know, an elite player. And you hear about, you know, you hear about these things. And I think the, the, the aspect that, I mean, the, the post that you're talking about on Facebook, I think that that is the next level of scouting that I think so it's so hard to touch because in a sense, we have to have a window into people's minds. Mm -hmm. But um, that's why one of my favorite movies of all time is uh, Draft Day with Kevin Costner, because I think it kind of talks about that element. You know, you have the quarterback who everybody says is going to be amazing. And then you have the, you know, the linebacker who has the heart, has the desire. Um, and then as Kevin Costner is going through it, you know, he, he makes a decision based more on gut 
and character than the actual film. So I think at the end of the day, I think that's the next level um, that people need to in the future try to try to key in on. It's it's harder, but I think to your point, I think it accentuates um, just getting a better feel for, for for that that prospect. Absolutely. So you you and I are definitely in agreement on on Jalen Green going number two to the Houston Rockets, and that that puts the Cleveland Cavaliers on the clock. At number three, again, with a few intriguing options on the board, Matt, who who do you have going third to Cleveland in your mock draft? I think they're running to go get Mobley. I think, you know, they're, they're, I think that's too good to pass. I think there's going to be some people that will scream for Jalen Suggs, of course. Um, but I think Mobley fits them with something that they've lacked for a while. And that is, and, and that's not me making a knock at, at Kevin Love, but it's just, you know, Kevin Love is at the end of his, uh, you know, what you would call an elite level. And Mobley has that ability to be kind of like a Chris Bosh, uh, uh, LaMarcus Aldridge type talent where he can he can extend plays. He, he He's very adept at shot making. Not, you know, he's still learning offensively. He's not on the level of Aldridge was, but um, the potential is, is, is so much there. And, um, I, you know, I think he's a guy that, Cleveland will be happy to go grab because I think he's he's going to give them something they haven't had for a couple of years now, and it's going to be consistency and it's going to be a threat at that forward position. Um, you know they're in a massive rebuild. Unfortunately, you know when you lose a paramount talent like LeBron James, that tends to happen. Um, I do wonder if they do take Mobley, what happens to uh, Jared Allen? But at the end of the day, um, I think you got to go with the best player available. So I agree with you. I have Mobley going here at this point as well. And I got to be honest with you. I think this is probably Mobley's best fit. And yeah. you mentioned about what happens to Jared Allen. Well, I think that those two would do wonders playing with each other because I don't think that Mobley long-term is a center. I think that at the end of the day, he's more of like a 4-3 because of how perimeter-oriented his game is. And while Mobley can still be a, a really good shot blocker, especially rotating over from the weak side or on help defense, um, at the same time, you don't want Evan Mobley, somebody with his frame, his body type, banging down low every single possession against you know the team's primary big man, whether that's an Embiid one night or a Jokic the other night or whoever the case may be. Like Jared Allen is perfect for that. Jared Allen isn't afraid to, to bang down low with anybody. And more times than not, he can actually get the job done. He can win some of those matchups as well on the defensive end of the floor. Um, and then having that, having Jared Allen act as like a role man, um, Evan Mobley, who's someone who can handle the ball really well for his size. If they want to run some inverted pick and rolls sort of with like Mobley and, and Jared Allen, that's something that they can explore within that offense. And then I think the the other thing that isn't always talked about with Mobley, it's something I've brought up on my podcast a few times, and some people I think avoid it altogether because they don't want to attack Mobley's character or anything like that. And I'm not either when I say this. Like I'm not questioning his his work ethic or his desire to play the game at a high level or anything like that. But I don't see like that that killer instinct within Evan Mobley when, when I watch him play to just take over a game, clear everybody out. Like, yeah, you have all the talent in the world to be that type of player, that type of shot maker, but I don't see that desire in him to necessarily be that guy, which is fine because 
he can contribute to everyone else's success handling the ball, making plays for others on offense, and then chipping in and scoring when he has opportunities. But you have two other guys in that backcourt, if they're there, who definitely want to be those types of shot makers, especially late in games, and in Colin Sexton and Darius Garland. So that's why I think when you put everything together, the type of defensive balance he brings to that team, when you have two smaller guards in the backcourt are probably going to let some guys get past him. Now you're talking about a front line with Jared Allen, Evan Mobley, and Isaac Okoro. Like that to me sounds like a picture-perfect matchup defensively. So yeah, I just think that overall that this is definitely his best fit. I don't know if you have any other thoughts on any of that. No, I, I couldn't agree more. I think, I think it's it's the best out of the, the three for him, for, without a doubt. Definitely. So that that brings us to the Toronto Raptors, who were able to sneak into the top four with the fourth overall pick. Um, this, this, to me, has also been a pretty clear pick in my mind. I'm assuming that we're going to be four for four here. Matt, what's your pick here? I haven't taken Jalen Suggs from Gonzaga. There we go. I think he he, he fits their needs. I think he fits, uh, you know, what they like in, in, in point guards. Uh, you know, I know Suggs comparisons, <laughs> they go from, you know, Jason kid to, to, <laughs> I've seen all sorts of comparisons for him. Jason kid. I saw one guy, uh, I think he had Derek Rose as his comparison. I, I wouldn't say all that. Uh, uh you know, Suggs to me is more of a, um, I guess you'd call it in between of, of a Chauncey for me. Uh, he's not exactly Chauncey Billups, but he reminds me a lot of him and in, in how he controls uh, the pace and how he just enforces his will uh, yep. offensively. Um, I think he's the most talented player left on the board. Um, some might argue Kaminga is the guy that, or Scotty Barnes might be a better uh, talent. But to me, I think Suggs fits all the boxes that the Raptors like in, in, in players. I mean, they normally like guys um, that have that bulldog uh, toughness that, that, that just, you know, they're not going to back down and, and they, they're, they're pretty dogged. So I think that that he fits them culturally and I think he fits them um, as a player. Yeah, I agree 100%, especially when we're factoring in that Kyle Lowry is probably going to be walking out of the door at this point so you kind of need a replacement and the Raptors were essentially gifted his replacement potentially as long as Suggs is there with that fourth overall pick and I think he will be and I think that is the most excellent selection I mean we can look at why the Raptors have had so much success especially over the last few years it wasn't wasn't just because Kawhi showed up for one year but it was also the foundation that they built defensively having both Kyle as well as Fred Van Vliet in that backcourt defensively, um, along with OG Ananobi when he was healthy, Pascal Siakam. They've had their their share of enforcers at, from the center spot, and they're going to have to fill that need at, at some point in the offseason as well. But may, may, maybe Chris Boucher is the long-term answer at the center spot. Maybe not. I don't know the answer to that fully. But either way, you've got Kyle Lowry's replacement defensively right there with Jalen Suggs. And then offensively, I mean, he he... He doesn't have this otherworldly handle. He doesn't have this this otherworldly genius, you know, orchestrating the offense at all times, like like a Jason Kidd, for example, because I've heard that comparison as well. Um, but but the the level of toughness, the degree of intensity that he plays from that position at all times, and the leadership that he exudes on the court. Like I don't have to talk to any sources off the court 
for them to tell me that like Jalen Suggs is one of the best leaders in this draft class. Like I don't have to get that information for anybody because you can see it every game that he played for Gonzaga. He was vocal. He was always communicating with his teammates. If coach Mark Few was making a point to him on the sidelines, Suggs always looked like he was very receptive and respectful. And these are just the things that you can pick up watching the tape. And and that's why like when, when you and I, Matt, when we talk about, yeah, we, somebody doing this type of work might not always have an outside source. If you've watched enough film for a long enough, you, you know what to be able to pick up on. That's not necessarily happening within the flow of a game to sort of figure some of those things out for, for yourself, especially like the positive characteristics. And I think that Suggs checks all of those boxes. He would be a home run pick for, for Toronto at this point, if he's there on the board. So you and I are in agreement completely. I thought we would be. So it's interesting. So now we're four for four. Let's see if we can be five for five. Orlando is on the clock. Who do you have the magic taking with the fifth pick, Matt? Yeah, we might have a little little deviation here. And and I Oh, I, I'm telling you, it's going off the rails at six. I can promise you I'm throwing <laughs> it off the rails if it doesn't go off the rails here. So <laughs> I think I might know who you might take at six. Um but I'm going with Scotty Barnes. Okay, so here. we're five for five. Yeah, okay. okay. Yeah. I think he's the best talent available. Um, I think he has that upside. I, look, Scotty Barnes, we could say whatever we, we could talk about all the positives and his height and, and his feel for the game and his passing ability, his ability to dribble. But I think the thing that makes him so intriguing is he has still yet to figure out this game fully. He's still learning the game. And it's amazing to see that this guy who has all these physical gifts, who has all these tools, He's still not there yet. And you can yep. see like he's got so much in front of him. And I just think to me, that's why he's the best talent available. And that's why I have him going fifth. I, lo I love that because a lot of these guys are still figuring the game out. And that's an important point that um, pe people who are trying to evaluate and, and, and scout this game and, and do some of what we do, they don't always take that into account. They kind of forget that, yeah, these guys aren't going to come into the NBA with understanding of how to do everything at that level. They're going to struggle. It's a really hard game, but you want to bet on guys who, as you mentioned, with his physical tools, he's six, eight with a near seven, three wingspan, um, plenty of bulk to him as an NBA ready body um, can potentially guard one through five down the road. And that's another phrase that I personally do not say that lightly. Like if I say that I truly mean it and I understand how special of a compliment that can be. But um, again, one of, one of our mutual guys that we like to talk to David Thorpe, he, he loves talking about Scotty Barnes because of the joy and the exuberance that he, he, you know, is always around him at all times when he's playing the game of basketball, how much he loves to play the game, how intense of a competitor he is. All of those things go into it. Um, obviously his swing skill is going to be shooting the basketball. Um, he needs to be able to shoot better, especially when he's open from the outside, but some of the work we've already seen from workouts, I'm impressed with what I've seen. So I'm not worried about the jump shot whatsoever. I think he does read the game at a high enough level to be a distributor at some point in his NBA future. And then, yeah, the impact he can have defensively, just being a competitor for his first few years in the league figuring out more of the game. And then, yeah, by year three, I think we could have a really complete basketball player and somebody who could be challenging all of these other great names that we've talked about, picks one through four. He could be challenging all of them to be the best player in this draft class. So when we do talk about best talent available, I agree. I think at this point you have to take a shot 
uh, on Scotty Barnes. I guess really my only question with the pick at number five is um, how does he necessarily fit in with, with Orlando? How how would you kind of see his some of his rookie year playing out, Matt? I mean, I know Chad Ford has floated out the idea of I think you play Scotty Barnes from point guard from day one if you're the Orlando Magic. I don't necessarily agree with that statement, but how would you kind of see his rookie year panning out? No, I don't agree with that statement either. Um, I think he's going to come off the bench, and I think he's going to lead uh, the second team out there as a facilitator and and really it's it's a redshirt year for him uh you Mm -hmm. know i i think some people if i sit there and said oh yeah he'll make first team all rookie that that would be i i think that would be a little too far uh i I expect him to learn the game i expect him to go out there figure out what works for him and then maybe slowly start to facilitate i think that if anybody has visions of Ben Simmons, that's not who Scotty Barnes is. He's not Ben Simmons. He's not going to play point. I don't think he's going to play point in his career. I think he can move there and spot up duty, but I can't see him being a full-time point guard in the NBA. I mean, look, I, I say these things, and of course, next year we could be having this conversation and we're saying <laughs> Scotty's playing point guard. But as of right now, I, I see him more as a hybrid a guy who can play small forward and 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 kind of create mismatches at that spot when Jonathan Isaac is is sitting or um you know Okiki uh, you know I that's where I see him I agree with that assessment 100% um I I don't necessarily feel the need to play him as like this jumbo point guard and I think that's that's part of the fascination nowadays we have so many of these uh big ball handlers who have figured out how to assert themselves as like these quote unquote primary creators or like these point guards. But at the end of the day, I still feel like you need somebody, you need a real point guard who knows how to play that position inside and out, who's been playing that position for a number of years. And that to me is the type of player that you want to develop to to lead your team. I mean, Chris Paul in the finals right now, who's been doing this for years and years and years is no better example of that. He's not the biggest guy on the floor, but he just outthinks everybody. He's multiple moves ahead because he just has the requisite experience playing point guard for so many years. And and that's why I don't think you could just throw any particular player in that position and just throw him out there and go ahead and say, okay, you're going to be the point guard. It takes a very, very special player to throw into that role and be able to mature him and grow into that so quickly when they haven't necessarily been doing that um, the, their entire lives. So yeah, it's more of like a secondary creator, um, somebody who can make plays out of like a short roll, out of like a pick and roll set. Like, yeah, that's exactly who I see Scotty Barnes being, but a special, special talent, very high IQ, very smart guy, nonetheless. Um, so I'm curious, Matt, you think you know who I'm going to take at number six for, for Oklahoma City. Yeah, I may shock you. I, I, I may not, since, since you think you have an idea, but who would you, who would you select at number six um, if you were the Oklahoma City Thunder? Who would you have going there? Because there's some I'm awesome actually, on the board. Yeah, I actually, when I do my mock, and I, I don't know about you, but I, I kind of try to put my mind into NBA teams' mindsets a little bit. Yep. It's not always – Sometimes it's in direct conflict of who I think the value is. Um, so I'm guessing I'm and again, I'm spitballing because I know you 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 think highly of this player. So I'm wondering for you, is it gonna be somebody from Ann Arbor? For me, it's uh Jonathan Kaminga. I okay. think he's got 
he's got the allure of NBA GMs. I'm not particularly sold on him as being the sixth best player, but I'm sold that he checks a lot of the boxes that GMs find themselves enjoying. I mean, he's got the height. He's got the pedigree. He's got the body. He played very well in the, in, in the G league actually. And I think, you know, this better than anybody in the beginning Everybody talked about how great Kaminga was playing for the G League at night. Yep. And it wasn't until later where Jalen Green started to make his presence known. But we all came away for at least for the first five games saying how great Kaminga looked. Um, I don't know about his upside. And I think to me, that's the biggest drawback. Um, I scouted him when he was in high school. He, he almost looks the same. And um, that's always worrisome for me. When I see a player that, that hasn't really made huge leaps physically as a sophomore, um, sometimes you wonder, is it, is this, is it, did he peak early? Um, you know, how much room is left before he starts hitting the ceiling of his potential? Um, I think he's not at the ceiling yet, but I think he's higher. Uh, I think he's closer to the ceiling than I think people realize. So for me, I, it wouldn't shock me if a GM takes him six, but it wouldn't shock me if we turn around four or five years from now and players who are drafted beneath him uh, end up having what we would perceive as more successful careers. I think he'll still be a very good player. I just don't know about the the superstar potential starter talent that I think people are projecting onto him right now. So I actually think that he is going to be the pick at six, he is not who I have mocked. He is not who I would pick at six, but I think right. he's going to be the pick at six um, because he is that raw. Oklahoma City has some time to be able to develop somebody like him. Um, yeah, I have Jonathan Kuminga going a, a little bit later in this mock map, but I'll, uh, we, we can talk about Kuminga now. I have no problem doing that. Here, here's my concern with, with Kuminga. Um, when, when you evaluate his game, one of the biggest things I like to look for in young players is show me show me the couple skills that we know you can bring to the table from day one that are going to earn you minutes in a coach's rotation. Like an NBA coach is going to trust you to be on the floor to execute this, this, maybe this if you're like one of those top shelf rookies like a Cunningham or a Green. Like maybe you're bringing in like three valuable skills to the NBA right away. Generally if you get one or two right out of the bat, like that, that's pretty good. Kuminga, you mentioned his body. He's obviously a really, he's a, he's a powerful athlete. It's about six, 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 seven, 210 pounds. He's really good at attacking off of like a straight line drive and getting to the basket. But that to me is like the only real skill that he brings to the table right now. If you want to consider that little spin move that he does sometimes around the basket, that reminds me of like an Andrew Wiggins or something like that. Maybe that's like one and a half skills outside of that. I don't see what else he can do in the NBA from an efficient standpoint from, from day one, like that jump shot needs a lot of work. The pull-up jump shot needs a lot of work. I don't see him as like the, this, this guy who I can, I can trust to um, make like the really quick dump off pass when he's on one of those line drives, maybe he gets caught um, in between a few defenders as he's trying to get to the basket. I don't, I don't see the passing vision right now and that creativity. And then on the defensive end, he has the physical tools 
to be a really good to, to great defender in the league, but I don't see the awareness and the on-ball or off-ball ability right now. So I think that he's just going to be coming in an incredibly raw player, and that's why I necessarily wouldn't be chomping at the bit to take him at six. I'm, I, I, is that a fair evaluation by, by your standards, Matt? Oh, absolutely. And and that's that's what I say. I mean, I, I pick him at six, but I do so with with holding my nose. I mean, I, I <laughs> you know, it's not that he it's not. That I think he's a terrible prospect. No, to your point, no. there's there's a lot there, but it's just there's a lot of question marks. Absolutely. So this is where I said I was going to throw it off the rails a little bit, my friend. You ready for this pick? It, it, OK, did I get it right? The guess the first time it is not Franz, but Franz is Franz is coming soon. But Giddy? It, it it is Alperin Shingun oh. is who I would take with, with number six. And okay. so I was on I was on an Oklahoma City Thunder podcast about a week and a half ago, and they were asking me what I would do with the sixth pick in the draft if I was running the Thunder. And you take a look at some of the pieces they had they have on their team already, which with SGA, they have Luke Dort. Um, they have some interesting perimeter and, and wing guys, especially when it comes down to like Baisley, like like guys like that. But they don't they they need a big man. They need a big man desperately. And Shea is a really good pick and roll guard. I think that he is going to be their long term point guard. And he's done everything he can pretty much do at this point to to prove that he's improved his scoring arsenal and to become a better three level scorer from that guard spot. But he doesn't have a, a proper pick and roll partner. To, to get into that dance with, to accentuate the rest of those special skills that he can bring to the table. And I think when you look at somebody like Shangun, a big man who's proven that he's an exceptional finisher around the basket, he can be another one of those guys who can make plays out of the short roll. I think he's definitely going to be able to, to stretch the floor. The jump shot already looked good to me, but like you see him in some of these practice videos and some of these workout videos, he's hitting like step back threes. For, for crying out loud, like somebody his size, like I think that he is the perfect offensive center to plug into the Thunder for, for everyone's benefit as far as long-term development is concerned. And then you have some of those other defensive pieces, like I mentioned, um, Lou Dort is an incredible defender. I like the off-guard slash wing spot. I think Baisley's turned himself into not a great defender, but certainly like a good enough one at that forward spot. And then Shea, with, with his physical tools at 6'6", his length, he can definitely be better on that end. I just think that he he's had so much asked of him on the offensive end that his defense has kind of fallen off a little bit. But I think if you plug in somebody like Shingun and he turns out to be as good offensively as he was this past year when, when he won an MVP award for crying out loud in the Turkish League at 18 years old, I think that can take some more pressure off Shea. And I, I think that could be a really intriguing pairing for, for years to come. I don't know, Matt, I don't know what your thoughts are on, on Shingun as a prospect. What, what do you think about my pick there? No, I I actually like Sengun. I I was, you know, looking at him, and, and you know, with international prospects, I can't speak to the level of, of everybody's, you know, fluidity with with mm -hmm. with that group. Um, but to me, I haven't seen an international prospect, uh, explode so so much over just one year. I mean, it was just the year before where you know he was looked at as a, a decent player but not to the level uh that he is now i mean i think he played for uh, i want to say bandarama i think was the the group he played for before he went to uh was it Bas 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 yep Bas yep. Bas yep and i mean he was 
you know, just an upcoming prospect. But this year, I mean, he made such a huge jump. You, you, you don't see that usually in the Turkish league. Um, usually that that's such a physical league. And usually young prospects don't really make that big of a, of a leap so quick. Um, so I was thoroughly impressed with him. I think I have him going later in my mock, but he's a guy that in the upcoming, you know, this upcoming week, as I get more and more information and, and as I, you know, further look more and more into his game, um, it wouldn't shock me if I move him up because he's already, he's already fits a profile that, NBA teams love to work with. Um, to your point, um, he's so good inside. Um, it, the outside shot isn't fully there yet, but it's there. Like mm -hmm. the, the mechanics are good. There's a lot of stuff that he has there. Um, but I think if anybody looked at him right now, they would say, you know, he he's not what you would call a, a great creator with the ball. Um, you know, he's, he's, he's much better, uh, in, in situations where he just gets the ball and, and he goes up. Somebody might say, you know, look, I don't like his athleticism. Um, but I think the thing that I, and they, look, and again, we all scout differently, but yep. when I see a big man that's shooting, you know, in the high seventies, that gives me great hope that he develops into a great shooter because usually free throw shooting and perimeter shooting kind of go hand in hand. So there again, he's there. And I think even though the athleticism may not be what people would like, um, he, he's athletic enough that he's going to keep guys honest and he's strong enough and physical enough that, yeah, he could definitely make himself known in that paint. So I don't think it's, I don't think it's a stretch. I think it's, you know, pretty well thought out. Um, wouldn't shock me either way, because again, like I said, he, his, his ascension, I haven't seen anybody like that. I mean, not Enos Cantor, not um, Zaza Pachulia. Nobody from that league I've seen make such a huge jump at such a young age like like he has this year. Yeah, and and obviously, like everybody wants to look at him and, and they want to say some some crazy things like a high end outcome for him might be like a like a Jokic type, but I see it like he he to me he he reminds me so much of Demontis Sabonis. And when you take that potential level of offensive skill set, how, how, how good Sabonis has become scoring on the block, he doesn't look to stretch the floor all the time, but it's something that he can definitely do. And then you factor in Shingun's rebounding ability as well. Um, part of defense, for, for as much as he could get carved up in space, which, by the way, it seems like every big man gets carved up in space now in the NBA at this point because of how good these perimeter guys are. So I don't necessarily let that blow up his case as much as some other people have who have him like like a lower first-round grade at this point. But his rebounding ability, his ability to, to, to clean the glass on both ends of the floor reminds me, you, you mentioned Canner's name, Matt. That's exactly who I think of when I look at him as a rebounder. So just like this weird combination of like Sabonis and Cantor in different aspects, um, that that really intrigues me. And I guess like the the love child between those two at his best is like this Kevin Love type player. Um, and 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 maybe Shingun's a little bit better than Kevin Love was on defense, and maybe he offers a similar impact offensively as well as on the boards. Like that to me screams the type of player that you look to take like like six on. I think that you and I probably agree those five guys we laid out in our first five picks are the five best players in this draft class. And to me, outside, after, once you get after those guys, 
Like there's a lot of guys vying anywhere from like six all the way down to like 21. So I think it's really about who who's higher up on your board, who, you know, who wins the eye of the beholder contest and what do you value? And what are you also looking at to meet some of the team's needs? And that's why, that's why I went with Shen Goon at six. And I might also shock you at seven too. I think I probably am going to shock you at seven with, with who I have, who I would take if I was golden state, but who, who would you take Matt um, with the seventh pick on the board with golden state? Yeah. Well, before I answer that, I, I want to say this just to give people an idea. This year's draft is so deep that people who are at six, seven, last year they were challenged for a top three. I mean, it's yep. very deep this year. Um, exceptional value uh, later in, in, in the rounds. Um, but I, I picked this. This is, this is a, a guy that I enjoyed watching. Um, he has a lot of stuff that I think translates to the NBA. And I think he, he's one of those rare guys where he fits. Because usually I go for BPA, best player available. I think yep. he's a BPA guy, and I also think he's a guy that um, gives him a need, too. Um, with with Clay Thompson coming back, we don't know to the level um, of his defensive prowess. And I also believe that, um, you know, look, father time is undefeated. And eventually certain things, certain aspects are going to start, you know, decreasing. And you need a guy that can come in there and kind of give that defensive lift. And I, I went with Davion Mitchell. I think he's a very tough nose player. He gets in guys' spaces. Um, at least this year. Now, again, I've I talked to a guy who trains him, said that he's a legit outside three-point shooter because that that had always been a conversation. Like, yep. is this one year an aberration or or is this uh, you know who he is? Because earlier in his career, you know, he was a thirty-point. Uh, not, I'm sorry, not thirty-point. Thirty percentage point type three-point shooter he wasn't a guy that you could guarantee would knock it down this year at Baylor he certainly knocked it down he's not what I would call a traditional point guard in terms of vision he doesn't see the floor as astutely as say um, Josh Giddy or, or, or Sharif Cooper but he is a very good um, unselfish passer and, and I think the, the biggest thing for him and I think this is the one NBA skill that translates pretty good for him is that he gets separation almost at will. Um, he is so shifty, and he literally plants his foot so hard, um, it's virtually hard for most defenders to stay in front of him. So Davion Mitchell is somebody who has grown on me a little more throughout this process. I was reluctant to hand him a lottery grade for a few different reasons. Um, but I, I do think that Matt, he will be the pick at number seven. I don't think there's any question in my mind that he's probably going to be the pick if the Warriors keep it. Mm -hmm. However, I had them go. I, I would have them going with the other Baylor guard. I would take Jared Butler over. Really? I like the, that. The reason behind that is that first of all, you and I, Matt, you, we, you know, I, I've I've been at my hand trying to to do this and learn about this process of scouting for a decade now. You you've been at this process learning about the draft and scouting a lot longer than I have. You and I both know that it's very rare when rookies make an impact for a team that's like a, a borderline contender, especially in a loaded conference like the West, right? So I figure the Warriors have two picks in the lottery. If they make both of them, they're probably going to swing for the fences with one of them. And the other one, I think they can take a safe veteran level 
contributor and Mitchell absolutely falls in that category. That's why I don't, I don't dislike the pick of Mitchell, but I think Jared Butler fits in a lot more seamlessly within golden States offense um, because of what Butler not necessarily does on the ball. Well, but also off the ball. Like to me, he's the best off the ball guard in this entire draft class. And I think with the willingness that Steph Curry shows all the time within that Golden State offense to to run around off the ball, run off screens, set screens himself. Like you go back and watch a lot of the tape on Jared Butler. Butler does a lot of the same stuff for, for Baylor within that offense. And that's a big reason why that team won as many games and then ended up winning the national championship as they did because of Butler's willingness to, to bring the ball up some but also play off the ball and find different ways to either pass and play make for others or get himself shots that he wouldn't expect a guard of his caliber in college to hunt for all the time. Like, like if you're, you're a guard in college and you're looking to make a big name for yourself or make a splash when it comes to getting drafted, you probably want the ball in your hands all the time. Do you want to be hitting all these crazy step backs or whatever off the bounce to prove that you're this elite level shot maker to an NBA scout saying, Hey, like, I can do this in the NBA. I'm going to be able to do this. I'm confident enough to do it now. That wasn't Butler's approach. Butler was always calm, reserved, and he looked to make the smart play at all times offensively. He's one of those guys, you looked at him, you just rarely saw him make any mistakes, whether it was moving the ball or ultimately hunting for one of his shots. And I think that that's the kind of player that Golden State could afford to bring into their system because we saw with James Wiseman, James Wiseman was not going to be ready last year to contribute at a high enough level. And while he absolutely should have been that pick, and I'm glad that they took him, I think everyone's expectations might have been a little unreasonable for him just because he was the second overall pick. I think that if the Warriors look to bring in somebody who they're confident in can fit in virtually any style they want to offensively, while also bringing defensive impact to the ball, especially within second units. Cause like Butler's probably going to play off the bench and then um, you can mix him in with some of the starters. You could even play him and Curry together for stretches spreading the floor for everybody else. I just think that would be an incredibly smart fit for golden state. Why not put a really smart guard in the middle of one of the smartest offenses that the league has to offer because they don't run a lot of design stuff. Everything's motion, everything's feel off the ball, et cetera. I think that Jared Butler would be a really good fit there. No, I, I agree. I, I, I think, um, you know, I, I hope he doesn't get impacted by this, this little health pickup yep. that happened. I, I know the last time it happened to a prospect of his level um, was Monty. It's, actually a coach that's coaching right now in the NBA finals, Monty Williams. Um, you know, he had a health scare and he went from a lottery pick to, you know, I think he fell into the middle of the first round. Um, I, I hope that doesn't affect him. I I'll tell you this, and, and I know there's going to be some pushback, but I think if people look at the, you know, film, um, especially like synergy and you watch how he gets his assists, he's a way more natural passer than Davion Mitchell. So um, I, I'm actually a big fan of Jared Butler as well. So it's just that, yeah, it's, it's a pick your poison. Like Davion Mitchell to me, I, I think he did a much better job of this, this past year versus when I've seen clips of him playing in the past or, or studied him in the past. Like I've always thought that he's one of those guys that just plays at one speed, right? He plays really fast and he doesn't exactly mix up his speeds really well and change his pace. That's something that Butler gives you. Um, now, if you're just if you're just looking for a guard to bring off your bench who has veteran experience, he's tough. 
Um, you know he's going to bring it defensively, can potentially lock somebody up at the other opposing guard spot, um, and then obviously offer some of the outside shooting if you believe in it as much as um, you, you saw at Baylor this past year. Like, if that's what you're looking for, like I said, I don't knock the, the Davion Mitchell pick whatsoever. I just think that if you're willing to gamble, there's a potentially even better option out of that same backcourt. That's why I went with Butler at a Golden State. But um, I'm a lot higher on Butler than, <laughs> than a lot of other people. Like I was really high on Cole Anthony last year, and I kind of got up on my soapbox for him all the time, and I felt like I've done the same thing for, for Jared Butler this year. But um, we'll, we'll move on to Orlando at number eight. I'm really curious to see who you have um, them taking with a second lottery pick match. I am taking James Booknight. Um, okay. I love, I love his talent. I think he's, he's a guy that projects pretty well at the next level. Again, I, I'm not saying he's going to be, um, you, you know, the second coming of, uh, <laughs> of an elite shooting guard, but I think in terms of feel for games and shooting, um, athleticism, finishing around the basket. He's got a lot of what you like there. Now, don't get me wrong. There, there were plenty of times, if all you had to do is watch, where he took some very questionable shots. And there were many times where he played where you just wanted to pull your hair out. Um, but <laughs> I, I tell you, I think, again, when we're talking about, and everybody evaluates guys differently, but I look at also what I call like point, you know, so what, yep. what's what's the way a guy is scoring his points? And, and if he is scoring those points, how many of those points are what you would call NBA caliber moves? Um, Booknight produces pretty high level in that area. So it lets me know it's not just conference. It's not just he's the strongest and fastest. He, he really puts together some very efficient moves. And I, and I think that bodes well for him at the next level. Um you know, I've seen some people, you know, say that he should go lower. Um, I, I actually think he's he's right about where he should be. I agree with that. And he is who I have mocked to, to the Magic at number eight. He is who I would pick. Um, and, and my reasoning behind that is my comparison for, for Book Night through this whole process, Matt, I think he's like a souped up Gary Harris. Obviously, he's a better athlete than Gary Harris is. But in terms of how they impact the game, on both ends, I've seen a ton of similarities um, all, all over the past two years, and especially now that Gary Harris is in Orlando, like who to me would be a better mentor than the guy who I would specifically comp him to. Um, so I think that's a good reason for the selection. Another reason is that when you actually go back, and, and, and I know that Orlando has a bunch of guards now, um, they don't necessarily need another one, but I think the value you can get from Book Night, especially when you take into account. Um, Book Knight excels in, in isolation scoring. So when he gets somebody alone on an island, he has his step back moves that he can go to in the mid range, but he also excels really well off the ball. And he's a better off the ball scorer um, than, than a lot of these other options that we have here in the draft. I mean, you look at the, the magic last year where we're 27th out of 30 teams and scoring off screens. There were 26 off cuts um, 29th scoring out of transition offense. Like they, they have a lot of help. They have a lot of need for, for somebody who can help them score off the ball, whether it's moving without the ball in the half court or filling the lane properly in transition. I think Book Knight can come in and fill a lot of those needs right away, especially um, in, in like a second unit type role playing behind somebody like a Gary Harris. I think he could ease a lot of concerns for Orlando off the ball. And then obviously as he keeps developing his jump shot, 
as he grows more into what his role could be at the NBA level, as he gets a better understanding of the professional game, I think that he could become a special guard down the road. Somebody who's able to, to go to more of his athleticism, go to more of his creation ability as he gets more comfortable within his shooting mechanics. And yeah, he could become a lights out scorer for them. So I, I agree completely. I think he's the pick at number eight. Um, Sacramento has some interesting selections certainly left on my board for for you as well matt who would you have sacramento taking at number nine uh this is another player i'm not in love with just from the standpoint that he didn't produce exceptionally well but i I, honestly i think the college offense was kind of weird um certainly didn't lend itself to his strengths and that's keon johnson from tennessee okay amazing athlete um you know, he's got a lot there that you like. There's a lot there that you don't like. I mean, the jump shot is a little shaky. Um, you know, he does show some ability to make shots off the dribble, which is a plus. Um, but I think his defensive upside is huge mm-hmm. and really will help him. Um, and, and that, honestly, he's going to be one of the better athletes selected uh, that night. So I, I think he fits a need there at Sacramento. Um, I was torn between him and Moses Moody. But I, I chose him because I think he's got the upside at the end of the day. I like the thinking with Keon Johnson and the reasoning behind it because I went with a different guy, but along similar lines of thinking, Matt, I actually went with Franz Wagner here. Um, and the reason is that the Kings last year, they were 10th among teams in total offense, but they were dead last in total defense. They were a putrid defensive team last year and you look at a lot of the metrics for for Franz you can talk about some of his blossoming offensive ability he kind of does the easy things on offense and then if the jump shot translate he's able to hit open shots for you and spread the floor at his size but he's also a pretty good playmaker defensively Um, and he can certainly guard somebody else in a one-on-one situation he plays well and is an instinctual defender off the ball and he has that 6'9 220 pound size and the length that he brings to the table. He's somebody who can continue to grow with that team. He's still young enough in his own right that he has upside to be able to tap into, especially offensively, even if he's only like a 12, 13 points per game scorer in the NBA, and that's all he is. I don't necessarily think that Sacramento needs another shot maker from this draft right now. I think they just need really smart guys who can come in and keep keep playing the game the right way to blend with somebody like a De'Aaron Fox, somebody who just gives them another frontline type defender. And to me, that was Franz Wagner. But like I said, Matt, I think that you went with Keon Johnson for, for a lot of the same reasons. And I don't fault that pick. I have Keon going a little later in this mock. But I, I, I actually do like the selection if they're willing to gamble on Keon and they're willing to live with the fact that he's probably not going to be a dynamite offensive player from, from day one. I don't know if you have any other thoughts about uh, my Franz pick. No, I, I love the Franz pick. Franz is one of those guys I, I, I didn't like him initially as much, but as I continue to watch him on Synergy, I was, I was like, this guy is pretty darn good. And I think the thing that I think he doesn't get enough credit for that I've, I've watched is he's way better off the first step than I think people realize he gets by a lot of guys with a lot of hesitation, a lot of free shots. Um, He's very quick. And I think the thing I like most about him is there's no wasted motion. When he takes that initial dribble, he's literally using his long stride. He's usually at the basket within two. 
uh, two steps. And I, I think that's so rare. I mean, we see that with Giannis in the NBA. If you can get to point A to point B with little to no real motion, it's so hard as a defensive player to to, to limit that. And uh, I, I'm not saying, again, I'm, I'm like you. I don't think Franz projects to be, um, you know, an elite scorer. But I think he's better than uh, than people give him credit for. He's just like a really, he's a really safe pick to make, whether he ends up having more offensive upside or not. But even if he doesn't, I think that the Kings are probably the best place for him because they don't, again, they don't need him to be that player. Like if he goes to somebody, if somebody like overdrafts him, like let's say he goes to like a, like an Oklahoma city or a golden state, like they're probably going to want to get more bang for their buck out of the gate offensively. Then I think Franz is going to be ready to contribute right away at this point. Um, despite the, the the defensive value that he would bring. Yeah, I think that he might disappoint a few fan bases if he gets drafted to the wrong place. And for as much as I don't want to necessarily wish that we send everybody to Sacramento, I think that in his particular case, that's probably the best place for him. And that's, that's why I didn't have a problem drafting him there. Um, the Pelicans at number 10 have the best young core I say young, not the best core. Obviously, Golden State is the most talent out of all of these teams, but the best young core when you have Zion and Brandon Ingram, they they have a really interesting decision to make here at number 10, Matt. Who do you have the Pelicans taking at number 10? Yeah, for me, man, I'm not going to lie. This one, it was a four-headed horse for me. It's hard. It's yeah, hard. Yeah, it's very hard at 10 because it really, you got to be in the mindset of the GM. I mean, I could have went with Kai Jones, Giddy or Kispert here, uh, that was uh, the other three. I chose Mo, uh, Moody from uh, Arkansas. I think he's got the best – I think he's just such a smooth scorer. And maybe some people will say, well, he, he kind of that's kind of like Nikhil Alexander, and, and I get that. Um, but Moody just – man, he's such an efficient scorer at, 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 in college. I mean, he's he, he almost has that Allen Houston-type quality where – you know, he doesn't look like he's ever in a rush. He looks very smooth, very composed. And before you know it, you know, he gives you, you know, a quick 20. Um, I actually think, you know, he could fall a little bit, sure, depending on, you know, Giddy. I think Giddy's, uh, you know, could make some noise. I think Kai Jones, too, depending on, you know, the GM's taste. But I really like Moses Moody. I think he's underrated uh, in his shot-making ability, so... Uh, I just chose him here at 10. I don't hate the pick. I think that if I would have taken this guy a little higher, then I probably would have made Moses Moody the pick at the wing because I think they definitely need um, an, a, another wing, like a 3-2, 2-3 type, and Moody fits that bill with enough length and, and enough upside to be able to grow into something more than he's been built initially. But I have Jonathan Kaminga going here because I think that on on in my mock draft, again, you already had him taken by the, the Thunder Matt. I think at this point for me, he can't slide anymore. I think you have to take who I would have to be, I guess at this point, the best prospect available um, at, at number 10. And he's somebody, I mean, again, the, the, the Pelicans, as much as they want to be in like this win now mode because they have somebody like Zion, in all likelihood, they probably aren't. 
unless they pull off some surprise trade that we just don't see coming. They're a team that still has to keep building for the future. Um, and, and Zion's only in year three. It's not like Zion's in like year six and he's going to demand out of his, out of, you know, out of new Orleans, like next year. Right. Like there, there is some time to still make the correct picks and put the right pieces around them. And we, we've talked about how Kaminga might not be the best contributor right out of the gate this year. He's still somebody who you and I agree. He has enough tools and enough things in his bag that he can develop over the course of like two years. And by, he gets to, by the time he gets to like year three, I mean, that could be a really, really, really intriguing monster. When you talk about three-headed monster, you talk about Kuminga, B.I., and Zion all, all, all on the same team. Like that, that, that could be game-breaking potentially um, in, in the Western Conference as long as all of them keep developing at the pace that we think they will. So um, that was my pick at number 10. Charlotte Hornets with the 11th pick. Mad, you, you you talked about one guy who I was really close to taking at number 11, but I actually didn't put him here. You mentioned the name Kai Jones already, potentially for New Orleans. Who who do you have at number 11? I actually have Kai Jones. I think he go. fits a huge need for Charlotte. Um, I, I think it's no secret. He, he's got the athleticism. He's got the size. He's incredibly fluid at, at, at his size. I mean, he moves like a small forward. He's got the size of a center. Um, there's just so much there. And I think he really fits with what Charlotte wants to do with LaMelo ball. Um, I guess if I was going to give him a comparison, I, I would say he's kind of like a, a Christian Woodish type guy where very long athletic, um, doesn't really, he's raw. Uh, and, you know, definitely you worry about, you know, him on, um, as he has to gain weight and everything else, but yep. I really like him. Uh, I think at 11, he makes a lot of sense for Charlotte and I think he fits their, their team dynamic. And I think he's the best player available. So Kai Jones is definitely a- an upside swing for the fences pick. I think at any point in the lottery, um, g- given my evaluation on him and, and I do have him going in the lottery, but I think he, he's more of a gamble it's really crazy that I'm saying this because I wouldn't have thought this um, like three months ago. But I think that he's more of a gamble at this point, given what I think Charlotte needs on the interior defensively, than a guy who I actually have them taking. And that would be Isaiah Jackson out of Kentucky. Um, I think that Isaiah Jackson's ability to block shots in the interior, again, being the elite level athlete that he is, particularly in transition, I think that he fits seamlessly with what LaMelo Ball would, would help him do, which is he, he needs a role man in the half court. He needs a big guy who's going to run the floor with him in transition. And he needs somebody who is going to be a guaranteed shot blocker down low. And when, when somebody gets by those Hornets perimeter guys and gets into the lane and looks to make a play, they need someone who has the athletic ability as well as the timing to be able to block those shots and make those plays defensively. And I think Jackson's become an underrated prospect i think because that he doesn't bring anything fancy to the table at least not right now offensively although i think the jump shot's going to come along in a few years time and he's going to at least be able to step out and knock down some mid-range shots like we've seen bam Adebayo sort of develop um down in miami he's become a lot more comfortable of a mid-range score and we didn't necessarily project that in his game when he was coming out of kentucky either um i just think that if you're willing to be patient with jackson offensively in in the short term you can get potentially massive value out of him defensively 
in the short term and as he continues to grow other parts of his game offensively i think he could be like one of the 10 best players in this draft class so i don't know what your thoughts are on on jackson and uh matt i i don't hate the kai jones pick like i said i i have him going very soon here um i don't know if you have any other thoughts about jackson no i jackson is um just i'm actually happy you have him up so high because honestly if you you know after i do my mock i don't know about you but i like to take a look at you know twitter and and, and see where other people who evaluate talent are kind of having them and i seem to be very high on jackson um i i agree with you jackson has a lot there i mean i don't think kentucky used him well i think he's still learning the game he's he's just like yep. scotty barnes where he i don't think he even knows what he can do re- yet really um yep. I think he has a better feel on the defensive side than Kai Jones. So that makes a lot of sense. Um, Obviously I think the upside is more with Kai Jones long-term. And I think the upside of his offensive game is a little higher than Jackson. But again, to your point, uh, we don't know what Jackson can do yet because Jackson doesn't even know what he can do yet. So <laughs> I'm, I actually like that pick. I, I really do. I, I, I'm actually uh, I'm happy to hear that you have him up so high because, again, like I said, if you go out there and you look, he's some people have him in the second round. And I, I just I can't even I don't even understand that. Yeah, it's just it, it comes back to my philosophy of looking at a lot of these guys and figuring out what they can do from day one. How do they get on the court to actually get used to playing in an NBA game. So that way they can figure out how to develop some of those other skills, right? You need, in order to get better at the game, you need to be able to play the game. And when I look at type of impact that Jackson can make defensively and what that Charlotte team desperately needs, I think he's, he's an immediate option to be able to plug him in off your bench from day one. And then I think at some point in his rookie year, he could even be the starting center for that Charlotte team, as long as everything goes right. So that's really the appeal as to why I picked him there. San Antonio has some interesting options at, at number 12. I'm curious, Matt, to hear who you have them taking or who you would take if you were in San Antonio's shoes because they're so guard heavy. Like there are some intriguing guards still left on the board or some wings, but I think I would take a big man if I were them. I'm curious to hear what your pick is. I'm taking kind of a both. I'm taking Josh Giddy. I think okay. he's... I think he's got the the feel. I think culturally, I think he he will make the adjustment with San Antonio better. Um, there's a lot there. I mean, I I like Giddy a lot more than I think some people do. Uh, you know, to me, he's got the best court vision in 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 the draft. I, I, he just sees the floor so so incredibly. I know some people will say Sharif Cooper. I see. I see it as giddy. I mean, he makes. He really sees the floor. He sees plays happen before they happen. He can throw a pass with either hand. Um, offensively, he he's got a really nice spin move that he uses um, to kind of negate the size of the smaller guy that's guarding him. Uh, he just has that feel for the game, and I know it's it's a stereotype. I get it. Feel for the game. I know people hate that wording underrated athlete i know people hate that wording so i try not to use that but i can tell you this right now josh giddy at least what i've seen him in the australian league um he's got a lot of what you just you can't teach you can't just say hey you need to when this play happens you do x he does that instinctually so it's just to me i i just really think he's really good um he's gonna need some work and i think san antonio is the type of team you know, we had kind of talked about it with um, another prospect that we just talked about where 
I think it was OKC, where they can take some time to develop. I think San Antonio is a non-pressurized culture, which they can take him, they can develop him. Like he needs to work on his jump shot, obviously. Um, but man, he just there's a lot there, and I think he just from a culture standpoint, point, I think he really fits the Spurs well. So I don't have Diddy going to the Spurs, although you might have just talked me into the pick potentially, um, because I'm not one of those people who is this high on Giddy Map, but I think it's because I don't see him as a point guard. I'm sorry, I just I just I just don't think he's a point guard. I think he's a forward. I think he's more in like the Joe Ingles mold, and and that's been a familiar comp. Fully agree as well, but. That's that's the type of player I see him as. And when you bring up the point, Matthew, you don't think that he would be in a pressure situation in San Antonio to play that type of role. I actually agree with that. And and now that I'm sort of thinking about it, like, yeah, you you could actually talk me into getting Giddy back into my uh back into my lottery here because of that fit in particular with San Antonio. They would take the time with him, they would continue to develop his jump shot because that that's another one of the criticisms I have on him from day one. I don't know how he's scoring the basketball from an efficient standpoint when he first gets into the NBA. But I mean, what, what better team to work with him on some of his shooting mechanics and, and make sure that those improvements that we're seeing on some of these pre draft workout tapes come to fruition than, than San Antonio. Right. So I actually really like that pick, Matt. I'm glad you made it. And it, it, you almost talked me into it. I'm, <laughs> I'm going to take Kai Jones here. I'm going to take one of your guys with, with San Antonio for some of the same reasons. I think that, Kai's so much of a home run swing prospect. I know that there are a good number of people on draft Twitter who have him like as a top 10 or in some cases like a top seven guy. I'm not going to get on board with that. I refuse to get on board with that because I, I have so many questions about his physical makeup, his body, what he's going to be handled doing in the NBA. If he's not a true big, does he have enough skills to be to thrive as this like pseudo perimeter type creator as well like i just have so many questions about him but san antonio is not going to be doing much of anything anytime soon despite whether greg popovich continues to coach there or not like they're just not going to be a high level playoff team so again out of all the other situations he could be drafted into i think that san antonio is another one of those low pressure situations where he can come in and they can just kind of figure out who he is and what they think he can be and then they can give him those two, three years to develop. And then hopefully by like back in the year three, year four, we have that really high upside player that, that you and I think there's absolutely the potential to be in there. And it's because he's been in the right situation from day one. So that's why I have Kai Jones going there. Um, that ends his slide on my board. 13, the Indiana Pacers. I know for a fact that I'm going to be taking another guy who you already have off the board. So I'm curious to see who you have at 13 going to the Pacers. Yeah. Before we, before I touch on that one, I, I, I want to say this because I, I think we, we need as a community to just remember this. I think the NBA is at the point now where if you're a point guard and I can't count on you to knock down a three, I don't know if I can put you at point guard in this era. <laughs> so, you know, I, like to your point with Giddy and, and with other guys like Scotty Barnes, if I can't con- count on you to knock down a three, I just, I have a hard time putting you at that point guard slot. Um, as for three, uh, Indiana at 13, you know, I'm actually taking a guy that I know you've talked about. He's not, you haven't taken him yet, but I think Indiana is going to play with the house's money. And I think they're, they're going to take a guy that earlier in the year was 
trumped up as an early lottery pick or even a mid lottery pick. He slid a little bit because he didn't have uh, the run through the tournament the way that people thought he should. And that's Corey Kispert. Um, I think he's better than people give him credit for. I'm not saying that he is the guy that maybe people thought about he was earlier this year. I get that. Prospects change and outcomes change. But I don't think he's as bad as some people made him out to be after that game. I mean, there are people that were saying, oh, I don't even understand how he'll go in the first round. It's like, are you kidding me? Like, I, I get he didn't have the series that you thought he should, but Corey Kispert, there's a lot there to like as, a, as an NBA scout, as an NBA GM, as just a watcher of basketball. If you like a guy that plays the game, knows what he needs to do, knockdown shooter, you, there's no way you can turn that down at 13. Now, I will say this. Does he have some things that you will worry about? Yeah, you will worry about him on the defensive side, and you do worry about his ability to create consistently off the dribble. But all that being said, shooters are premium, and and he can certainly make, make those shots. I think somewhere – Somewhere Larry Bird is screaming in favor of your pick saying, just take the guy who knows how to play the damn game. Right. It's, it's, it's somewhere he's just saying those words. Um, he's, he's not who I have going here, but I don't dislike the pick. I'm definitely a, a Kisper guy. Zers, he needs to be like back end lottery, mid first round conversation. Like, yeah, I I'm in agreement. He needs to be drafted before 20. You cannot let somebody who had a historic offensive season like Kispert go that late in the draft. And I've run through his numbers so many times on this podcast. We don't necessarily need to revisit them again. But when you talk about plug-and-play options for Indiana, a team who definitely has playoff aspirations, a, a team that can be uh, sneakily competitive in the Eastern Conference, they just need guys who can play the game of basketball and hit outside shots. So I do not disagree with the Corey Kisper pick right there. This is where I actually have Davion Mitchell going. Um, and I think that this is probably the best fit for him that I can see long-term if you're a Davion Mitchell believer and if you believe that he can be a starting guard in the NBA because he is undersized. He does need a guard next to him who can share some playmaking duties with him, similar to how Jared Butler did at Baylor. Like Davion Mitchell brought the ball up a lot um, for, for them and, and got them into some sets, but the ball would also whip itself back around to Jared Butler as well. Like Davion Mitchell didn't make every single play for that, for that Baylor team. And I think that was to Davion Mitchell's benefit as well as the benefit of the rest of the offense. So, and then obviously you need a guard next to him who does have some sides who can take on some of those bigger backcourt matchups um, on defense. And Malcolm Brogdon fits that bill perfectly. I, I can't think of a better lottery pairing for Mitchell in terms of what I think he needs next to him to be able to succeed at his highest level than I can Indiana having a guy like Brogdon next to him. And then you talk about Mitchell can bring everything he brings to the table defensively. If the outside shot is legitimate and it is real, then he's just another floor spacer along with Malcolm Brogdon. Um, and then you still have Miles Turner there. You still have TJ Warren there. I mean, you have plenty of guys who can space the floor, let them honest bonus do his thing on the interior. Like, yeah, I think that to me, would be a match made in heaven, but you and I are in agreement. We don't think that Mitchell's going to last that long, but if he did, Matt, what do you think about that pairing? No, I, I think that makes a lot of sense. Um, certainly, I, I agree. Among all the teams that are there, that is 
undoubtedly the the best scenario for him career wise. Um, you know, I think he would certainly get earned some starter minutes. I'm not saying he'd start right away, but I think he there'd be definitely a path quicker. Oh, he'd get looks. Absolutely. Yeah. He'd get looks. yeah. So yeah, I agree with that pick. That's a that's a good one. And then we move to the Warriors at 14 with a second lottery pick. I mentioned Matt that that I would I would take a more sound pick, someone who I think could contribute at a high enough level from day one with one of the lottery picks, and I'd swing a little bit with the other one. So who do you have the Warriors taking at 14? Um, I I have Jalen Johnson from Duke. I think he's um I like it. He's a mysterious guy. I mean, I you know, when I was interviewed by the sporting news about him when he left, uh, you know, I was disappointed. I I thought he he could have turned his season around he he definitely he, you know there's some warts you know he he's decision making you know the the mental toughness you do worry about that stuff uh but man let me tell you there's a lot there if you if you're cooking up a prospect there's a lot of stuff that that's there that he has naturally um that again he he hasn't even figured it all out yet either he's another one of those guys where he's just starting to learn his body learn what works well. And I think that was often time the frustration at Duke was that he he knew what he could do at times, but he just couldn't his couldn't get his body to do it. And he was clearly frustrated. I think he had this vision of going to Duke where he was going to be a 20 point game guy and it didn't work out. And then I think he blew it up and just said, you know, I'm gonna work out for the NBA. And I, look, it definitely set off some some alarms because this is a guy that in high school I believe in four years he went to three different high schools. So there, there is some, there is some character issues uh, there that maybe it's being blown out of, you know, maybe it's being overblown, but I don't think it's something that you can just skip over either. Um, I, I, I like the upside. I like what he has for the NBA. I just wonder, you know, character wise, uh, can he do it? But I think for golden state, they can take that chance because there's such a firm group of, of players there. They have a, you know, a lot of locker room glue guys that could steer him and mentor him and, and maybe get him on the right path uh, to professionalism that he, that he needs to exhibit because let's be honest, when he was at Duke, um, he certainly was frustrated and he certainly didn't have what you would call leadership or even took, I think, I don't think he took the game as serious as he should have. And by the time he did, I think it was too late and he just got frustrated. So um, I, I think some people will see that and they'll go, I, I saw him play, he didn't play that well. And I would agree, he didn't play up to his press clippings, but I, I can tell you this, but he, he, he's got a lot of there. And, and I think Golden State will, will, would take a chance on him. I agree with you that more of the questions for me with Jalen Johnson come from all of the information that you and I probably don't have and, and we likely won't get the firm answers to before the draft process. Because for me, I think what impressed me so much about Jalen Johnson, I don't have him going at 14. I have him going a tad bit later in this mock, not too much later. But what impressed him so much, what impressed me so much about him was that I don't think he knows how to play the game much at all on, on, on right. both ends of the floor. And we've kind of said that about a few other players who we've had a little bit higher in this draft, but yet he was like massively productive numbers wise 
um, on both ends of the floor at different points without knowing how to play the damn game of basketball. And that to me is scary. Like we already know what his athletic package looks like at six, nine, 210 pounds, probably bigger than that by now. I would, it wouldn't shock me at all if like he gets drafted, he's like 220, 225 pounds at that point. He put on like 10, 15 pounds of muscle because his body looked really good at that clutch workout. Um, but if he starts putting it together, you want to talk about massive value at the back end of the lottery or like right outside the lottery, getting somebody like him a hundred percent. I mean, the, at, 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 there comes a point where some of the questions just hot. You, you have to just put some of them aside and you say, we're going to take the best player available. We're going to take the best talent and we're going to trust our guys to be able to work with him, figure everything out, battle anything that could be in his head, battle anything that be, that could be going on off the core with the, the people he keeps, whatever the case may be, whatever the issue is at some point you do bet on the talent. So I, I don't disagree with that pick. I think they'd be really interesting if he ended up in golden state, because wow, could you imagine like like Steph, Clay, Draymond, Jalen Johnson, James Wiseman, Davion Mitchell, like all, all six of those guys there <laughs> by your mock. I mean, that's that's a ridiculous collection of talent. Um, so fourteen, no, not a lot of people would say I'm necessarily swinging for the fences with this pick, but I think that I am. I'm taking Moses Moody here, and the reason why I say swing for the fences a little bit is because. I like a lot of what he would bring to Golden State. He's definitely a smart off-the-ball player offensively. He can shoot off the catch. He can hit open jump shots for them, which I think is... I, I've seen Josh Giddy actually as a really popular mock to, to Golden State of late, but my issue with that is I don't know if Golden State would trust taking him because I know that Giddy's a smart player processing the game and he can move the ball and make a lot of the right reads, but when it comes to the fact that he's probably not going to have the ball in his hands as, as much as that type of role would warrant. And he gets kicked to it. He gets the ball kicked to him in the corner. Is he going to be reliable enough to hit some of those jump shots? Or are they going to get a repeat of last year of like Andrew Wiggins and Kelly Oubre in the corner? You know, somebody like Giddy wasn't ready to hit all those shots, at that specific clip yet. So that's, that's a big concern for me. I, I don't have that same level of concern for Moses Moody. I think he can come in and shoot, anywhere between 38 to 40% from the corners right out of the gate. And I think that he'd be able to space the floor for Golden State just fine. But you swing on him a little more when you talk about what he can develop into. And I think his floor is a little scarier than some people might initially realize. Like, he doesn't finish around the basket well. He's not a mid-range creator. He doesn't do a lot of stuff off the bounce. He's primarily like this catch-and-shoot type wing who, yeah, he has the length and the measurables to play defense, but he wasn't always this awesome lockdown defender exactly on the perimeter either for, for Arkansas last year. So there's definitely some development that needs to happen with him. But I think at this point, if I'm going to take a swing, but still try and get the most out of one of those younger guys next year, somebody who can fit in my system, I think for me, that player is Moses Moody. And that's why I have him going 14th to Golden State um 15th for the washington wizards i know i'm going to be taking a player that you've already taken um but matt why don't you give me your pick for 15 with washington i'm not a big fan of this prospect but um i think he has the pedigree the background um i don't really like him I, i'll probably move him down in my mock um i'm not as big on him as as i've seen some others and that's zaire williams from stanford um you know, he has all he checks boxes of everything you like in a prospect. He's 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 tall, you know, he's got the the, the blue chip background. 
Um, but man, there's just, I don't like his body frame. Uh, I worry about the, the athleticism at the next level. Um, and, and really to me, he's all potential. Uh, if you ask me what's his number one NBA skill, I would tell you it's probably his size. <laughs> I mean, and the fact that he has the ability at that size to, to be somewhat of a defensive, uh, I think he has some defensive potential. Uh, but, you know, again, athletically, he's a little bit behind the eight ball. So at this point, he does, to me, other than the pedigree and, and, and his size, the, if you ask me what's his NBA skill, I don't really see that he has one. And those guys, to me, are always troublesome to mock out because, um, again, I've seen him as high as, like, mid-lottery. Um, but I'll, I'll be definitely moving him down. Uh, but, you know, I, I don't know. Some people, you know, they, 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 they love him, and they think that, uh, you know, he just wasn't in the right setting in college. So, yeah, I do have him going later. In this mock, and I don't disagree with you. He is another one of those raw guys. He's when when people ask me who are the biggest fallers from preseason, it's obviously him and it's Brandon Boston. And for similar reasons, they're these big creator type wings um, who weren't exactly able to finish around the basket with proficiency. They both had their struggles throughout their their freshman seasons, but they both really lost confidence really to make shots from different spots on the floor. Like like the finishing for it, for example, wasn't just the only problem with them. It it bled out to everywhere else on the court. And that's why if you're taking one of those two guys, I don't have a problem with you taking them somewhere in the first round. I don't even have a problem with with somebody taking them like like in the middle of the first round. But you just have to understand the type of player that you're getting with that pick. And that it's probably going to take them a little bit uh, of, of playtime in the G League to actually rebuild some of their confidence in their shot making. And then you can kind of take a step back and say, what else can we get out of this player? How else do we get him on the court to play NBA minutes? So you just have to be a little more patient with that player. But in terms of what the overall talent could look like, if, if anything breaks right, I mean, I think Zaire Williams still has <laughs> a case to be a uh, potential top 10 talent in the entire draft class when it's all said and done, but it's just going to take a little bit longer for that to get there. So I, 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 I do think that Washington could afford to take a gamble like that on somebody long-term. I'm still technically having them make a gamble. This is where I have Keon Johnson going at 15. I think that Keon Johnson's a much cleaner fit um, at, at like a two guard type spot because Listen, Bradley Beal is not going to be in Washington for forever. I mean, at some point, they're they're going to have to to pull the plug, trade him, and start the rebuild. And I think if you look at Keon Johnson, somebody who can come in potentially play up a little bit, play some three, develop as a backup to Bradley Beal in that two guard spot, and then at some point down the road, whenever you do pull the trigger on a trade like that, Keon Johnson can step in and be an answer potentially long term at the shooting guard spot. So that's why I think that um, Keon Johnson would be a fit there. Um, he can contribute potentially 
defensively in his rookie year it's just it's going to be a little bit rougher for him offensively until the shot definitely comes around but i like i like all of his shooting mechanics i really like his pull-up jump shot gets great elevation off the floor i think that his mid-range weapon can be a weapon for him um, going forward he can do some some catch and shoot three-point shooting he just may never be a creator off the bounce from three but at the end of the day how many guys really are creators off the bounce at a high level from three-point range that's such a hard thing to do um, and some of these guys make it look too easy. 16, Oklahoma City Thunder have a pick here at 16, then a pick here at 18. So they get two out of the next three picks. Who do you have, Matt, going 16 with the first one um, to Oklahoma City? I'm taking Franz Wagner. I think he's a uh, great value, and I think he's going to provide them with a layer of, uh, you know, just being a, a very efficient role player and 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 to your point you know wagner could certainly go higher wouldn't shock me which is why i think he's actually a steal here at 16 yeah i i don't disagree with the pick whatsoever i think he would provide some good size and some versatility to to oklahoma city right there this is where i have Jaden springer going um i think Jaden springer in that backcourt so you'd have shea Jaden, then you'd have Luke Dort can play up to the three because he's built like a linebacker. He can play the three. So now you start to see, and then you have Darius Baisley at the four. Now you start to see where I'm going a little bit. My line of thinking, if I'm taking Shen Goon at five and you have uh, at, at well with the six pick, but he's playing the five, you have so many other questions about him defensively. Potentially, I don't have as many as the, as the normal evaluator would, but if you do have some of those concerns, shore up your perimeter defense with guys who you know are dogs who are going to be able to keep somebody in front of him and not let a lot of these other creators just consistently penetrate into the lane um, to the point where you know Shen Goon's going to be involved in a lot of defending in space that you have those question marks and those concerns about. So it's really the the fit with some of the other pieces of what really intrigues me about Springer because I have no questions about Springer's defense in the backcourt. I have none. Um, there are some questions about his offensive game, how good of a score he can be, but defensively, you can put him in an NBA lineup from day one, and he's going to go out there and defend his tail off. So I think that'd be a really good fit there. Grizzlies at 17. Matt, who do you have the, the Grizzlies taking with the 17th pick? I actually have him taking another steal, Sangoon. I think he's going to be a serious threat um, for them down low. I think he can give them some toughness. And at the end of the day, I, I just think he's – just a better fit. So that would be a really intriguing pairing because of some of the defensive concerns we've talked about. He has Jaron Jackson next to him. Jaron Jackson gets to play the four spot, which he's probably more natural to at this point. And he's able to help with some of that shot blocking and some of that defending in space that you might have concerns about with Shen Goon. So that would be a really interesting pairing. This is where I have Jalen Johnson going. Um, his fall ends here. And when we talk about some of the character concerns off the court, if there are any question marks there that are still question marks, I trust that Memphis team with, they have so many good veteran players. And, and it's, it's funny that we call them vets because they're still technically young, but they were at least experienced college players who have come in and they found homes with the Memphis Grizzlies in the NBA, just playing to their role, playing to their strengths, and just playing the game the right way. And then they do have some vocal leaders like like John Moran, Dylan Brooks in that backcourt who'd be willing to work with somebody like Jalen and bring the best out of him. So I think from a chemistry and a character standpoint, I think I'd be a lot more comfortable with Jalen going somewhere like Memphis than opposed to some of those other teams in the lottery. Um, Oklahoma City gets another pick at 18, Matt. Who do you have going with their with their third first-round pick in this draft? Uh, I haven't taken Garuba. 
I, I think he's a very good pairing there. I think he's a guy that um, still has a ton of basketball left in him and I'm talking about like potential wise um, yeah, NBA comp. I kind of see him sort of like a, a John Collins type player, a little bit better. I think on the defensive side, um, I, I just think he's a, just a quality prospect at the end of the day that you just swing for and hope he can develop. He is. He's he's one of those guys that I've kind of said all along. If he's giving you 10 points, 10 rebounds a game, but he's also giving you the defensive versatility that he brings to the table, that's that's a player who's going to have a long career in the NBA. So I don't disagree with that pick one bit. Um, he would bring even more defensive value to Oklahoma City, so you, you'd be making sure that nobody was scoring on that team at, at that point. They'd be doing everything they could to stop you. Um, this is where I have Corey Kispert going. I have him going at 18. I think that the shooting value that he brings at this point, um, again, spacing the floor, he can he can come off the bench or he can even start at the four spot um, and play around some of those other perimeter type defenders. If Springer goes there again at 16, um, you still have, like I said, SGA and Lou Dort. Um, and then you have Shengun. Some of the offensive versatility, you'd have enough floor spacing for an SGA, Shengun pick and roll duo. Um, or, or pick and pop duo, and then Kisper would be there to pretty much move without the ball and knock down every open shot that would come his way. So I think that would be a really good uh, value pick and fit for him. The Knicks, just like the Thunder, had two of the last three picks. The Knicks have two of the three next, two two of the next three picks. So um, who would you have the Knicks taking with the 19th pick, Matt? I haven't taken Chris Darte from uh, Oregon. Um, another knockdown shooter. Um, you know, you can never have too many of those. I mean, there will be some concerns about him on the defensive side. Um, and I think he struggles in, in terms of decision-making at times. Uh, so he's not going to help a ton on that, on that side or on defense, but in terms of just knocking the shot down, he can do that. And and I think, uh, I, I've seen him go a lot higher, but I, I think his value is if you take him in, in the early twenties, I, I think anything, too early than that, I think you're reaching. I have Duarte. I'll just give a little spoiler alert. I actually have the Knicks taking him with, with the 21st pick, so I do have him still going to New York. I agree about the fit completely. I think they just need guys who can come in and are mature enough to understand what the role is and just knock down shots when they're called upon. They 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 need they just need more offensive spark. Um, period. Just especially given their 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 lack of offensive success in the playoffs against Atlanta. I have them taking Sharif Cooper at 19. I think that this is the tailor-made pick for Sharif. He is a showman's showman. He is an orchestrator on offense. He's the type of pick-and-roll point guard and 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 distributor and decision-maker that the Knicks need in that backcourt who, even though we have some questions and concerns about the shot, I think the shot will come along in time, but at the very least, he's proven he has a little bit of a floater mid-range game. He got to the line among some of the best young guards in, in all of college basketball right last year and shot the ball really well from the free throw line. That's an efficient way of scoring he brings to the table. And then, yeah, just him being a composed lead guard who can make everybody else around him better, take the ball out of Julius Randle's hands a little bit because I think he had it. He had the ball in his hands way too much in the playoffs, and that kind of killed New York to an extent because – Atlanta put him in so many mid-range situations where that's never been his game. He was uncomfortable in that role, and it, it showed. 
and they need somebody else who can reliably have the ball in his hands along with R.J. Barrett to kind of balance out the rest of that offense and make everyone else around them better. Um, the Atlanta Hawks at number 20, Matt. Really interesting pick that you could make here. I think I have an interesting pick. Who do you have at number 20? I have a guy that I didn't like in the beginning of the year, and as I watched him more and more, um, and that's Trey Mann. I think Trey Mann is – We share uh, the same 20th pick. I love th- it. There we go. Yeah, I I really like Trey, man. I I think he's got a lot of what you barely – you don't usually get this level of potential with this level of efficiency and scoring at this part in the draft. And I think he has a little bit of both. Kind of reminds me of like a Jared Bayless type player where you just pick him and and he can play either guard spot and – you know, the upside is there. I, I just really think he, he he fits a lot of needs for them. He does. He Because they, they need another backup guard who can come in behind Trey and, and, and do a lot of the same things that, that Trey can do. And, and Trey is an exceptional pick-and-roll playmaker. We know that Trey Mann can do that. He's not a natural passer of the basketball, but he's a good playmaker out of design sets. He has deep range on his three balls, so he's still going to keep defenses honest. And he can create his own shot. So when they don't have somebody else reliably to go to in that second unit, the player breaks down. Trey Mann can offer that type of scoring out of the backcourt as well for some of those second units. And and if Trey Mann pops off in the NBA and by by his third, fourth year in the league, he's good enough to be a starter somewhere else, then Atlanta can trade him and and recoup hopefully some pretty good value for him. So yeah, I think there's there's no downside to making man the pick at number 20, 21. I said that I would be taking Chris Duarte there. And then you laid out a lot of the reasons why he definitely works in New York, Matt, who would you have the Knicks taking at 21? I, again, at this point, I'm all about BPA. And I, I took Cam Thomas from LSU, just instant offense. Ooh, He's an Uzi. And uh, I just think that there are times where you just watch Cam Thomas. Again, he's very frustrating, but man, there are just times where you're just in awe of how he can just put up points in a hurry. Love it. Love it. I got, I got no disagreements with that pick right there. Um, again, I said that I had Chris Duarte, but yeah, Cam Thomas, flamethrower, instant offense for New York. Um, and, and, and like I said at the top, they, they need more offense, period, no matter where it's coming from. They just need reliable shot makers. The Lakers at 22. Big year in the full. LeBron's another year older. AD's not getting any healthier. Who do you have, Matt, going in there at 22 who could maybe contribute in their rookie year and, and maybe help the Lakers get back into championship contention? In, in a I slight think, role, he's a rookie, but sure. Can right. Help. Yeah, yeah. I think he fits need, and I think he, he's a guy that will take some time, but I really think he's, he's a great pick, and that's Isaiah Jackson from Kentucky. I think he's, there you go. I think he's a great fit there. Def- definitely, definitely fills a need there. Um, LeBron loves uh, vertical spacing big men. Um, he loves athletic guys who he knows can can stand behind him and block shots if somebody penetrates into the lane. I don't disagree with that pick whatsoever. And again, it's, it's Los Angeles. So um, if he doesn't necessarily pan out to be able to play a lot from day one, they're willing to be patient with some of those other younger guys that they have in the fold. See Taylor Horn Tucker, for, for example. He could be a valuable pick down the road. This is where I have Josh Giddy going. Um, I have Josh Giddy falling 22 to, to the Lakers for a lot of the reasons that I already outlined. But for some of those reasons, I think the Lakers just want smart basketball players. And I think that Jackson 
to your point, Matt, I think he's a lot smarter than some people want to give him credit for. We know that Giddy's a smart basketball player. We know that he's a sound decision maker and he's somebody who um, can, can be like a secondary or tertiary type playmaker for the Lakers and, and just make some of their other guys around them better. Um, bring a little more oomph out of some of those catch and shoot shot makers that they didn't always get the most out of. Um, especially when LeBron was in and out of the lineup for them last year. So Giddy, this would be like a, a perfect landing spot for Giddy should he actually fall this far. The Rockets, 23 and 24, Matt. Why don't you give me both of your picks back to back? Yeah, I, 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 I'm sorry. There's, there's a little bias here. Um, <laughs> Nashawn Highland from VCU. He's, he's a, uh, I, I live in Delaware. He's from Delaware. I saw him play in high school. Um, just an amazing long range shooter really just killed the combine. Um, I, I, again, I think he's one of the better shooters in the draft. I actually have Sharif Cooper at 24. I think, um, if they, if everything holds true to form, which it won't, but (laughs) in a perfect world, (laughs) if my mock did the way it's supposed to go, I think having a Jalen green and, and a Porter and then getting a Cooper, I think that would be tremendous. For Houston. So that, that's my two there. That would be one hell of a triad, one through three. If Jalen Green is able to play up to the three, like some people, myself included, think he can be, and then you had Sharif and Kevin Porter Jr. in that backcourt as well, that would be fireworks for, for Houston offensively. Um, I have Trey Murphy the third going here at 23, and then I have Usman Garuba at 24. I think both of them bring size and versatility to that front court to keep building around. You already have Christian Wood, Jay Sean Tate. Um, so that would be two more front court pieces that you could get there who, you know, Trey Murphy can knock down shots from virtually anywhere on the floor as long as you set up properly, which he'd have two perim- at least two perimeter creators to be able to get him the ball in some of those spots. And then Garuba, you're just asking him to come in and do more of the dirty work, whether that's um, from from like a starting center point in time or a starting forward spot next to Wood, where you're bringing him in off the bench to be like a cleanup glue guy. Um, I think Garuba would would thrive in Houston and bring more of that defensive intensity that that, that Stephen Silas is is continuing to look for because um, he played Tate for a lot of minutes last year, and that's everything that Tate brought to the table and more. You still have uh, Kenny Martin Jr. there, so they'd have a lot of intriguing young pieces to be able to keep building around in Houston 25 the Los Angeles Clippers Matt who do you have the Clippers taking at 25 I actually haven't taken Jaden Springer here from Tennessee okay um again I think he fits another need as well as the upside is there I think he, he there that what he's got everything you like there for for the uh Clippers defensively he's there long range shooting um he's got that ability to make uh, he's the better shooter out of the two from Tennessee and I just think he he would he would be very good fit in in L.A. with that. I don't disagree. Springer's already off my board, but I have them taking a guard of similar stature for for the same type of reasons, Matt. I have them taking Miles McBride here out of West Virginia. I think that they they need a point guard who can come in and defend his own spot and also offer enough reliable shot making um, nowadays. Obviously, Pat Bev went off in in some of those playoff games. Um, uh, against the Suns, but he couldn't ultimately make enough shots for them down the stretch. And they, they need a more longer-term answer at that point guard spot while still essentially keeping the identity of what that team is about. And that's maybe not through the whole game, but at especially towards the end of the game, playing tough, rigid, man-to-man defense 
and just bringing some of that intensity as well as being able to hit an open shot. I think Miles McBride's perfect for that team there. Um, 26, the Denver Nuggets will be without Jamal Murray likely all of next year. That's a devastating blow for them, but who might be a player that can bring in in the meantime at 26 to, to try and take, take away and soften a little bit of the blow at the very least, Matt? Well, he's the guy that's already off your board, and that's Trey Murray. Uh, Murphy. Um, I think he's, I, I really like him. He moved up. I had him early second, mid second as the process of me doing this. And then as I continued and continued to hone in on his game film, there was a lot there that I just liked. And, uh, you know, I decided to put him in the first round and I think Denver is a good spot for him. I have Josh Christopher going here to Denver and he's a guy who I would have loved to to draft a little sooner, but I just, I just can't find another fit for him. There's, there's way too many guys that have first round grades this year for me. So um, it is, somebody's got to be left out. Some people will be even left, be left out of the party of 30. So it, it kind of is what it is, but Christopher at least helps that backcourt a little more, give them another dynamic option next to somebody like a Monte Morris, who is going to have to keep filling in a lot of the void for, for Denver at the point guard spot. They'd have an off court creator and Josh Christopher who can get his own shot. And if he develops any more off the catch from three point range, it can help spread the floor for Jokic while continuing to provide defensive value that he actually played up to that that a lot of people ignored um at arizona state i think he could be a really great fit in that backcourt for denver the brooklyn nets at 27 can definitely afford to take a swing here i'm gonna have them taking a swing matt who do you have going to the nets at 27 haven't taken guys already off your board and that's jared butler um you know i was worried about you know just the health um if teams you know don't care about that and they're comfortable with 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 those uh I'm sure with those medical records that we as, you know, a public shouldn't have access to and they're comfortable with what they see, I think he'll go before this. But this is just in a nutshell, if there there's cause for concern, I think he'd go that drop down a little bit further. You think he'll go before it. I actually would not be surprised if he does fall to the back end of the first round because of a lot of the concerns. I know that he was medically cleared to play, um, but but that doesn't mean that NBA teams are going to be 100% fully committed on board to, to taking somebody with any sort of medicals that might pop up a red flag at, at any point. Um, so I think he might slide. I know I certainly don't hate the pick. Obviously I love big Jared Butler guy. I have them swinging and taking Isaiah Todd here. Um, he was one of the, one of the mm. most intriguing players for me to grade in this first round. And I think that he's a first round pick. I wouldn't hate if anybody took him in like the middle of the first round, like he's another guy. I could see somebody like Oklahoma city, just taking a gamble on him um, because of his size, his length, um, his shot making versatility, his, his um, underrated feel for the game. When you go back and watch some of that G league film, he, he made a few intriguing passes where you're like, Oh, he has a little bit of this in his game. Like this might be something we can develop into like a starting forward long-term um, and some of the stuff with his handle and his shot race and suggest he might even be like a three, four instead of a four, three. So I think he's, he's somebody who might not be ready to do a ton right away. Again, we have another guy we look back in like three years and, and he's playing a pretty, pretty decent role in a good team. So yeah, I think Isaiah Todd would be my pick there. Hometown 76ers at 28. It's a big pick, Matt. You better make the right one. Who you got going there? Yeah, better. Uh, I got Josh Christopher. Um, I loved how he played the combine. I think he has a lot of what you like. He's got that moxie. You know, he makes tough shots. Um, and, and I think he's in a situation where 
they've got some decisions to make there. They, you know, you got Shake Milton, you got a couple guys that you know they're leaning on for to, for this. I think Tyrese Maxey will have a more expanded role as he should um, next year. So I think they're going to have to start making plans to 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 who picks up that role that Maxey is is leaving behind. And, and I, I think Christopher can fill that spot very nicely. I would love the Josh Christopher pick in Philadelphia. Um, I think he's actually going to be gone before Philly because of his play at the combine. He just showcased I could be wrong if he was the pick there. I would love it 100%. Um, This is where I have Zaire Williams going. And I think that besides a few guards, somebody like a Christopher, I think could contribute next year, for example. There really, to me, aren't a ton of guys that stand out to, to contribute to Philly, a team that might potentially be in title contention in the East next year, depending on what happens with the whole Ben Simmons fiasco. But I think, I think they would rather take a swing and and probably develop somebody with this pick and look for more veteran contributors on the open market. Somebody they can bring in um, a few free agents. They can bring in for cheap to play more minutes next year. And Zaire Williams is, as we already talked about, Matt, he's one of the most intriguing long-term bets that we have in this entire draft class. And if everything would pan out for him, Philly having a, a jumbo sized shot maker who could potentially slide down to the two guard spot at like six nine six ten and be able to hit shots off the catch, even do a few things off the dribble in the mid range. His his baseline pull up is something that he does have in his bag. He just needs to work on his consistency from other areas on the floor and obviously um, improve on his finishing ability around the basket. But that will come with time. He'll add more um, a little more to his body. He'll get stronger. All those things will come in time. It'll just take a little while. Um, Phoenix. At 29, uh, went, went to the finals this year, may, certainly made a run. And, and who do you think, Matt, they, they, they would be looking to bring in next year, for next year at the 29th pick? I think they'd be lucky if he falls this far. I, I think he's going to probably move up. But that's Miles McBride. I think he's going to fit. Uh, he fits a lot of what they have in Chris Paul. Um, he's unselfish. He's defensive. He, he's you know, very resilient mentally um i think i think he definitely would fit a need there and i think he's the best player available so i i think if you're phoenix you you take him and you run to the podium and take him <laughs> i don't fault that pick whatsoever um if he fell i think he definitely does fill a need like you said and i think that one way or the other i think phoenix would take a point guard here uh because they didn't take tyrese halliburton last year that they, they they probably should have taken him but i think they can gamble a little bit here as well i have them taking josh primo um, out of Alabama, I've thought that he's been a, a first-round pick-type guard all along, not because he's going to be an awesome rookie from day one next year, but his biggest areas of concern are in relation to his playmaking and his pick-and-roll playmaking, and what better teacher for him to have in the short term than somebody like Chris Paul. Um, everything I hear about Josh Primo, um, the the few times I've talked to somebody around him, they they said that he's a really good kid. He's a sponge. He wants to absorb and learn everything about the game of basketball. Those are the types of point guards that that somebody like Chris would, would love to work with and somebody who he can in turn respect. Um, someone else who has a passion for the game as well. So I think that would be a really great pairing for, for Josh long term um, in a place where he could grow and develop into the point guard. I think he can be in in the future. The Jazz at number 30, last pick in the first round, Matt. Who do you have the Jazz taking with the 30th pick? I haven't taken Josh Primo. There you go. uh, You know, got everything that you've already highlighted. And, um, you know, he's still learning the game as well. And that's what's scary, too, about him. He's he's still figuring it out. And, uh, 
I mean, he's very intelligent and and I, like you have heard nothing but, but quality things about him as a person. So I, I think he would definitely fit the character culture that's there at Utah. And I, and I think he fits the need as the best player available. So 30th, my last pick, I would love the primo pick for, for Utah if he was there and, and they nabbed him because of what we just said. But this is where I would have Cam Thomas going. I have Cam Thomas going 30th overall. Um, when we talk about culture and fit, all of that is 100% true with Utah, um, a, a place where, where, where basketball is important, but they seem to also always want to bring in character basketball players who are unselfish, who are about the cause, not necessarily just about themselves. And while some people would argue that's actually the opposite of what Cam Thomas has shown himself to be in high school and college, I think that if you put him in the right environment, one of those team first type environments and and you 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 change some of his shot selection you rewire him to play a different brand of basketball than what he's played for for years leading up to this moment um i think that he would buy in he's another guy who i've heard nothing but excellent character stuff about somebody who actually is a smart kid in his own right who understands a lot about the game more than i think that we might initially realize and i think that again if he's given the right environment to be able to grow within um, he could have a pretty big impact and who knows could eventually be a starting guard down the road if everything pans out, particularly on the defensive end of the floor. So yeah, I think Utah would be a really interesting fit for him. Um, that being said, Matt, we did it. We made it through all 30 picks. I can't thank you enough for, for giving us the time to be able to come on and go through a mock draft with me one more time for my audience, Matt, where can everybody find your work and where can they find you on social media? Oh, thank you so much. Uh, you can find me at thedraftreview.com. That's my website that also showcases uh, my historical research. Uh, I'm also can be found on Twitter, Instagram, The Draft Review. I'm on Clubhouse a lot, talking in audio rooms um, as Matthew Maurer. And you can find me on Facebook as Matthew Maurer. And uh, thank you so much for having me. It, it, it's been a blast and it, it, it's as fun as I thought it was going to be. And if not better, <laughs> I, you're, you're a gracious host. And uh, thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for all the kind words, Matt. You mentioned that club, that elusive clubhouse app. I finally got into that stupid app. Um, and I, I can't wait to take advantage of it for, I guess, what, what may potentially be the last playoff game. I know that True Hoop does all their, their after show stuff in there. Um, I'll finally be able to get in one of those shows, but yeah, Matt, it was a pleasure. And and thank you to my audience out there for, for taking the time to listen to this show. A lot of great insight. It was everything that I could have expected and more. Um, if you enjoyed this content, follow us on Twitter at draft deeper, get into some of the conversation we're always having over there. Subscribe to this show, wherever you get your podcast, Apple podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, and we're, we're about nine, 10 days out from the draft, depending on when you're going to hear this. So uh, we still have enough pods in the pipeline to keep you content till then, and then still stay tuned to what we're going to exactly we're going to be doing for a live draft show on, on July 29th. So thank you all again for listening. I hope you have a wonderful rest of your day.